Holy crap. A new introduction to the podcast. But for real, though, the rest of it will come after this. I just want to thank you guys. Um, all the five-star ratings that we're getting on all the podcast apps is awesome. And I appreciate it when I hear people telling me that someone else told them about the podcast. So you guys rock. Uh, listen to the commercials or skip by them. It's cool. And your episode's on its way. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, we are back. We had a we had a, a guest scheduled for Friday. Uh, Inessa, she was the CEO of a medical hemp company, and her great backstory was unable to find a clean enough CBDA to treat her mother's cancer, her stage four cancer. So she ended up investing a year of her life into everything around this, this plant to, to make the purest form of CBDA to stimulate the endocannabinoid system inside the body and, and basically ended up curing her mom's stage three, stage four cancer. And she had an emergency, so she had to cancel. We will get her back in here because it what a great story. And I would like to pick her brain about the homeostasis ability of the endocannabinoid system and why things like CBDA are able to do so many different things in the body. It's not like when you take an, uh, an, an NSAID or a Tylenol and its specific thing is to reduce inflammation. This seems like there's a whole class of... Nat nutraceuticals, we'll call them, 
um, that are coming out that just have the about the ability to make your body find its its base level or find its healthy level, and it it doesn't go over where you should be. So I want to dig into that, but um, we will wait for that podcast for that. So we have a little uh, a little in betweener that that I wanted to thank. Um, Dr. Mike Isratel from Renaissance Periodization uh, to give me this idea, and some of this information came from him specifically. But before we get into the topic, um, what what have you been up to, my dude? Uh, just working on my sleep. <laughs> thanks to our little buddy, the Whoop. Yeah, thanks. We 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 should probably be getting some sort of uh, free month or something for the amount that we've talked about this, but. You gave me this damn thing, and yeah, I agree, man. It it when it yells at you and it gives you the freaking red score that you're not recovered, and you're like, oh shit, am I? Should I even be doing anything today? And yeah, and I, I will say that I think there's a little bit of placebo as far as good workouts and bad workouts with the damn thing because I think when it gives me a negative uh, recovery score or a, a bad, a poor recovery score, then I'm like. Well, I should take it easy today when I probably could get just as banger of a workout as a day when I'm green, mm-hmm. but I'm trusting the process and I am trying to keep that recovery score as, as high as possible. And then really, really putting in the work on the days when it's high. So we'll see, we'll see how it works. We'll see, we'll see where it, where it takes me in a month or two. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it was a wake up call because I was ignoring and, and even it's like, I'm not like, you know, everything's tied to the results on the whoop. It's just, I, I knew that sleep wasn't a priority. I think we've talked about that for like two years now. Yep. And I think having something, having the data and the baseline, it's almost like, you know, businessman having your quarterly reports, you know, kicking your ass. Then you realize, oh, I need to do something. So yeah, I was pulling probably way too many two a days. Um, pushing it when I shouldn't have been and not taking any days off. So, you know, at my age, uh, it's probably something that I need to, and you know, it's not just me. There's guys I hang out with. I think we, um, don't want to admit that we are 50 and that there is decline in a lot of areas. So, Oh, you guys are like aging housewives. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, we sit down and give up. It just means we need to, uh, you know, we're going to talk about on the podcast today. It's we have to approach things differently, you know, except that, you know, you're not going to work out, you know, like you're 20, you're not going to recover like you're, you know, 20 or 30. It's there's so much, so many other um, sciences behind it. And I think that's part of what's helping because, you know, I'm going through this master's program to, you know, when I retire, I want to go into nutritional health and kind of do that on my own time. And, um, you know, I just have to listen now to what I'm learning and actually do it. And yeah, yeah sleep is, is my biggest problem. And what happened in the last couple of weeks, I ended up with a bout. I dealt with the uh, shingles for a few days and you no, know, thank God it, it went by quick because I, did a lot of supplementation, um, a lot of sauna work, and actually probably the biggest thing was start calculating and focusing on my quality of sleep. And after, I'd say, less than a week, I mean, there's so much, it's, you know, so much recovery. I didn't get a lot of the side effects people were talking about. So um, I would say, yeah, that was better than going and getting prednisone. And 
you know, the one thing is you guys don't have to have a, a, a whoop strap to be able to see this. Most smartwatches do it. Um, if you, you could literally do it old school way and start writing down and doing the math on when you are going to sleep and when you're waking up. But I was doing the same thing. I was I was ignoring the fact that <laughs> I was ignoring the fact that ideally I would go to sleep at eight and I would get up at four and that would be eight hours of sleep. Right. And I was just going like, oh, I get eight hours of sleep. And I, and I was and I was just ignoring the fact that rarely, like basically never am I actually asleep at eight o'clock. Right. We're like around yeah. eight, eight, 15. We're like, all right, let's go up and get ready for bed. We're actually falling asleep by nine, nine thirty. And then you're getting up at four. Well, the thing is, is that's not all sleep time. You have a wake time in there. Um, what is the quality of your sleep? So it's like. I was doing the same fucking thing. And when you get up and you open your phone and it gives you that little survey every night before, or every morning when you get up and then you, you see your hours of sleep, you're like, oh, yeah, that was not eight hours. That was six. That was 615. That was five and three quarters. And it's like that compounds and adds yeah. up. And man, I, how many podcasts have we done out of 125? I bet at least 15 of them. I've preached how important sleep is. And it's the first thing that I would um, try to get people to work on before I work with them with their diet, before I help them with anything else. It's like, you got to get your fucking sleep right. Yeah. And both of us were just kind of snowballing ourselves into thinking that we were getting enough sleep. Whereas realistically, I think we both knew that we were not right. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Why is that the hardest part of recovery? Because it is not a, so measurable is not the right word, but the outcome of sleep is not measurable, right? So if you and I put in an hour in the gym every day, or we put in two hours into a hobby pursuit or eight hours into work, we can see what we're getting out of it, right? Yeah. We can see the benefits. When you invest yourself into a sleep protocol, the benefits are not easily recognizable. You have to go months and months and months. And really, the sleep, all it's doing is recovering you from the other, I guess, investment in effort. Yeah. So if you're never working out and you're not eating healthy, sleeping isn't going to do shit because you're already recovered. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's a secondary thing, but it's also the most important. Yeah. I guess, you know, it's, it's synergistic, right? Like it, it's not more, the heart isn't any more important than the brain. The liver isn't any more important than the heart, right? It's like yeah. they're, they're all, they all have to work together. And no matter how hard we're working on, on our, whatever we're working towards as far as goals for not sleeping, then what the fuck's the point? Well, you're still getting some, some gains, right? But it's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like food. You know, how many people do you know that? Work out like a like a motherfucker, but don't eat for shit. I know, I see it. Yeah, no, I understand that. And eventually, it compounds, and you know, it gets to a point where you know, like with me, all of a sudden, you know, shingles is is a virus that sits dormant that has that gets activated, and I was extending myself to <coughs> way too many commitments and overworking out. And not recovering. I mean, I was like in the yellow and red consistently for, and I ignored it for probably, gosh, almost a month and a half. And all of a sudden, I think the body tells you, it talks back to you and basically is like, hey, that's it. Boom. 
oh, you you saw the yellow and the red on your <laughs> screen, did. and you were just like, eh. Yeah, I, I can push through it, you know. It's and I think at some point you have to. <laughs> it's you can't just push right through everything. You have to like listen to your body and say, okay, you, you got to get some downtime. And to be honest, yeah, I wasn't taking any days off because I just, you know, I'll be honest. I was telling my daughter yesterday, you know, I like my time in the gym. I mean, if all of a sudden I feel like, I feel like I can never be bored because if all of a sudden I'm like, oh, if I got an hour at night or something, it's a, maybe it's even a Saturday night, I'll go to the gym, put my headphones on and just, you know, oh, I'll get ahead on this. Oh, I'll do some extra legs. And whether I'm sore or not, I'm not even listening to that. And I was, yeah, overworking out. And just the last couple of weeks, being able to take a couple of days off, I, I I get a little anxiety, I guess is what you call it. And when I look at the freaking whip thing and my activity, what what is that? The, the strain uh, level? Strain level is like less than half of what my normal output is. Yep. I'm like, oh, shit, did I like not do anything? Is it, did it, you know, <laughs> am I going to get some negative effects from that? When actually it's like, hey, it's what I should be doing on that day. So, well, so here, here's a, here's a thought process and, and this will kind of evolve into our, our topic for the day. And, and what our topic is, is your, your physical improvement, but we separated out your physical improvement by kind of, uh, uh age groups because yeah. it's going to be very different for each age group. But one thing is, is, is you are saying that you have started to implement some rest days, right? Yep. But you also enjoy your time at the gym. So if you have that extra hour and you're like, hey, wouldn't it be just as good or maybe even better if you implemented that time in active rest and you went and worked on mobility and you still had your headphones in, you're still at the gym, you're still getting something done, you're still improving your body, but you're working on your mobility, your flexibility, you're working on, you're, you're putting, you're getting steps in, you're walking on an incline, you're doing, you know, that kind of stuff. Whereas you're not putting strain on the joints, you're not working the muscle fibers, but you are moving your body and you are getting that time in for your mental health. Yeah. And I think that's a, it's a good point. That's something that I, I'm going to have to learn to train myself. Cause every time I walk in the gym, you know, what do you think I'm thinking? It's like, Oh, I got to do something where I'm throwing some plates on. Right. I like that. I like that intensity of of that push, you know, of taking that bar off the rack. And I, I just got to get to a point where it's like, you know what? I should, probably should work on mobility. Then I don't, you know, wake up feeling like I got hit by, you know, freaking school bus. Right. So I guess I'll start out with just a caveat to this whole thing. I don't have much for under 15 because under 15, you are so malleable um, that really what I want to say is what you shouldn't be doing. And mm -hmm. everything else is what you should be doing. And what you shouldn't be doing under 15 years old is you should not be pushing heavy weight. You should not be working on heavy compound lifts with a lot of weight. You should not be focusing on building huge muscles before your body is actually developed. Because guess what happens when you build uh, a big muscle and then your bone grows another two inches? over the next three yeah. years. Um, so what you shouldn't be doing is any sort of like extreme intensity with added weights. So what does that leave? Um, that leaves pretty much everything that has to do with body weights. 
you can do as many push-ups, as many pull-ups, as many lunges, as many air squats, as many sprints. You can do as many of that shit um, that you want to. And if you're working with your kid and your kid is under 15, um, the biggest thing is, is, is make sure that you invest this time into showing them that working out is fun. Working out is enjoyable. It's good for your mental health. It does not need to be pressurized and do not focus on, um, anything that could develop later body dysmorphia. So when you're working with your kid, you don't want to say, all right, you see how that, you know, you got some extra pudge here. Well, we're going to do this to work here. Or you see how your biceps are smaller than your deltoids. Well, we need to work on your biceps. Like, fuck that. Keep that shit in your head. Do not say that ever. Because these are the most important imperative years in your kid's life as far as developing their mental health. And if you can spend those years just showing them that moving their body the proper way and concentrating on form in a lift and, and, and having the beginner's mind is always going to improve them, then you are giving them something way more than building a muscular frame at fucking 13 years old. Yeah. I would like to add to that though. Yeah. When you're looking at these, uh, these kids, you know, going up to 15, even 17, 18 years old, um, a lot of what I'm seeing is there's a lot of, quote, adult injuries happening with these kids now. Um, and the specific kids I'm talking about are the ones that are in every sport club, and it's just a nonstop year-round. You're starting to see um, issues in the back, issues in the joints. Um, you know, you, you can't run your kid into clubs and camps and play one sport all year-round. And, you know, at some point you have to give them a little bit of a break and, you know, um, diversify their activities, you know, uh, have them do some biking, have them, you know, do other sports, you know, do baseball or something. But I'm starting to see this, the year-round hockey, the year-round soccer, the year-round uh, uh, football and football camps and, you know, flags on the off-season, tackles in the in-season, and there's like zero breaks. And these kids are just getting wiped out. And I was just watching a, a high school game. Uh, for our local team uh, on Friday night. And some of these kids are, they're coming off of these injuries and they're not even getting to college. You know, they're super great athletes are probably going to be, um, you know, D1 scholarship, you know, kids, but they're going to be running into injuries before they even, you know, get in the first or second year. Well, if you think about what, doing the same exact movements over and over and over and over for the entire developmental process in your body, what that can do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I deal with this every day because I played hockey from the time I was seven to 18 years old. And if you don't know running and hockey, because of the way that your body is basically producing force, it shortens your hip flexors it rotates your pelvis forward and you're, you're going to deal with lower back problems basically the rest of your life. And then extrapolate that into having, you know, sit down jobs for a majority of your, of your adult life. And you're basically just giving yourself a fucked up platform. But if you are keeping your kid in the same sport all year round, and and the biggest thing here is, and they don't do anything else. Right. Mm -hmm. So if your kid is playing football year round, but they're also swimming and wrestling and they're active, you know, they're, they're the type of kid that's out on a bike or a skateboard all the time or like all this shit, their body is going to develop much better 
then if your kid is worn down playing football there, you know, year round, and then all they do when they're not playing football is sit around because their body's worn out. Yeah. So I know I don't remember who I was, who I was listening to speak, but I was listening to someone speak about uh, muscle imbalances. And what he said was um, he had a job to work with a kicker because this kicker was having all of these issues with his right leg because he's a right legged kicker and he had developed so much power in that one torque movement that it was, it was counterbalancing his body and he was having all these, these long-term issues. So what he did is he made him, he made him kick left footed for a month. That's all he could do. He had to develop the ability to kick left footed. He had to build the strength to kick left footed. And he just made him work on kicking left footed for a month. When he went back to his right foot, the pain was gone and his performance drastically improved Yeah, because he worked on the imbalance. And I see that with, um, I see that with track athletes, uh, fielded track athletes that do the same exact movement over and over and over, whether it be like a shot put or a, you know, a throw movement or anything like that. If you think about torquing your body from one side to the other side to create any sort of movement hundreds of thousands of times and you're not doing the same movement the other way, what do you expect? Yeah. It makes perfect sense when you think about it from a 10,000 foot view, right? Yeah. I mean, you even see as uh, people get older, what golfers, right? Yeah. You're always a right-handed golfer. What happened? All that torque in your body such, creates such an imbalance. So under 15, make sure you're, we're concentrating on the mental aspects of working out, keeping it fun, not creating body dysmorphia, and we're only working on body weight type stuff. We're working on yeah. how to move. We're working on the best movement patterns and we're working on building that, that mind muscle connection so that you can make sure that you're keep keeping the correct form as you start adding weights, as you get older. Yes. And then parents focus on the, the diet and hydration because man, uh, cause I'm coaching football right now and the kids that are coming in, majority of them, their diets and hydration impact how they perform. Yeah, I could see that 100%. A lot of people don't understand that um, you can't just drink water. If you just drink water, um, the way that cellular hydration works is it has to have a specific saline content to get through the cell wall. That's how um, osmosis works, and that's Mm -hmm. how hydration comes through the cell. The cell basically closes off moisture if it doesn't have a certain saline content. So that's why drinks like Gatorade were invented. But you could simply put some salt in your water you could have you know some cashews or some salted almonds or something with your water it doesn't really matter just make sure you if you're not eating with your water that you're drinking you're getting some sort of saline or salt with the water yeah there's some really good electrolyte packets out there that you know even kids will drink like I said i you know my have my son once a day usually in the morning or either close to the afternoon practice will take on element is what we use so but there's so many other decent ones that are non-sugar and you know garbage filled so next uh next next age group we're going to talk about is 15 to 30 and we have a few of you guys listening um otherwise if you know somebody who this will benefit uh we're going to try to i'm going to i'm going to separate it out where we do your physical training um kind of a little bit of suggestion towards food and then recovery for each age group so that you're not um we're not going back and forth so if you start working out in this 15 to 30 age group, your biggest gains because of hormones, because of your body's ability to recover, because of all of the youth that you have in your body, 
your biggest gains will be made in this kind of 15 to 30 year old approximate age range. And if you start here, you really, you're, you're really lucky because you can concentrate very hard on the size and the strength of whatever you are trying to build, whether it is speed or muscle size or pure strength or strength for a sport, you can concentrate on these things with really a little bit of ability to kind of ignore some of the other stuff as far as recovery and as far as detailed work, as far as supplemental workouts. Like you can hit heavy, heavy workouts day after day after day, and your body's going to be sore, but it is going to recover so well that you are not damaging yourself to a catastrophic point. Um, I don't want to say you can get injured, but realistically, any injury that you get in this kind of age range, you are going to recover from. Yeah. It's going to suck, right? Like if you tear a bicep or something, like it's going to suck. But in this age range versus the 40 to 60 age range, you can get some injuries here and you're going to be just fine long term. Um, if you if you if you start here in this 15 to 30 year age range, you will most likely, as long as you maintain your intensity and you maintain your working out and you maintain growth and you and you're focusing on diet and focusing on recovery as you get older you will are likely much more likely to hit your max genetic potential because we all have max genetic potential. We all have a certain amount of muscle that we can gain naturally. We all have a certain amount of strength. We all have a certain amount of speed. There is a genetic potential that you have. And if you start in this 15 to 30 year range, you are more likely to hit that. Um, as far as diet, yes, you still want to focus as much as you can on a clean diet, but in this age range, your body is so malleable that you are able to kind of fuck off on your diet a little bit more than someone that is in that 40 to 60, 60 plus age range. Focus on your proteins, make sure you're getting enough calories for what you're eating, and try to get some fucking fruits and vegetables in, and you're going to be probably be just fine. Um. As far as anything else that has to do with food, this is probably about your highest uh, BMR, your basal metabolic rate that you're going to have in your life. Um, slowly, somewhere between 15 to 40 is when you'll kind of hit that peak of the amount of output that you put mm -hmm. out and the amount of calories that you burn. So as long as you're not drastically overeating here and you're moving your body, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah, and the uh, the fifteen to thirty here, the active recovery and the proper nutrition. Um, proper nutrition is real big. I'm going to use an example. Uh, you know, those of you who know the NFL, uh, Nick Bosa, and dude is like in his mid twenties, and he said that just proper nutrition. Because I know you're talking about, yeah, you know, at this age you're pretty malleable. Yeah, but it's it's kind of like um, you know, if you want to perform like a Ferrari, right? You can't put diesel fuel in a Ferrari. Yeah. So if you want to up your performance, um, this Nick Bosa that I'm, you know, talking about, if you look him up, you know, when he changed his diet, um, it completely, I mean, basically threw him into, he was like the number four best player in the league 
and down to like 9% body fat. So, you know, the quality of how you feel your body is going to be the quality of, you know, the output that you're going to put on the uh, performance or whatever sport that you're in. So, you know, remember that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, pop down some Culver's burgers or anything, but, uh, you know, it all depends on what you're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, you know, in any of these, right, there's going to be a, there's going to be a range of best to worst practices in any of these age ranges. Yeah. And the best is still going to be the best. It's just the worst might not be as bad as what it would be 10 to 30 years later. Right. Yep. It's like your diet. I mean, the, what's, you know, what I'm studying is basically if you're maintaining a 75 to 80%, you know, where you're eating good quality, you know, whole foods, um, that's recommended. But obviously, yeah, if you can get to, you know, in the 90%, I mean, that's pretty freaking good. Okay. That pretty much covers everything in that 15 to 30, um, 30 to 40 you're going to start to get a little bit less response to size and strength training. You're still going to get good response, just not near as good as, as a 25 year old or a 22 year old, right? Mm -hmm. You're just, you're just not able to pack on as much as fast, but you still, this is still a great time to start lifting. And if you started in that 15 to 30, somewhere in this kind of 30 to 40 year range, is when you're likely to kind of be your biggest, fastest, strongest, hitting your genetic potential where you'll be. Um, there's a pretty good range here between 30 to 40. If you're you know early at that 30s, you're going to see a lot more um, response. You're going to recover a lot faster. If you're getting closer to 40, the gains are going to start to slow down. It doesn't mean they won't come. It just means they're not going to be near as fast. You're not going to see that kind of hitting a max one day and then three days later being able to hit another max or a week later being able to hit another max. You're just in all of this, like we're not sugarcoating shit. We're not Willy Wonka. This is reality. And the reality is that as we age, our bodies are not as malleable. They are not as quick to recover. They are not as good at getting stronger, faster, quicker but kind of the the counterbalance to that is is you are a lot smarter you have a lot more intelligence you have a lot more experience under your belt and that's kind of where the saying of um, youth rewards the bold age rewards the patient right yeah that's where that kind of comes from so you have moderate recovery um you don't need to worry as much about like long periods of off time, you can still kind of, you can hit a lot of those max effort days. You can still put in a lot of heavy days and you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, if you get injured at this point, this is where it starts to get kind of goofy because in this kind of 30 to 40 is when you kind of hit this level. Whereas if, if you tear a bicep or you tear a pec or you have a real, a real bad injury, there's a chance that you may never get back to hundred percent. And that's, that's where this kind of starts to be reality. And as we get older, it's a lot more likely that you never get back to a hundred percent. Um, so this is where we start to really kind of focus on making sure that we are lifting smart, make sure that we're not doing stupid shit, make sure that we are 
bracing our core before we're doing overhead lifts, like all this kind of stuff. Whereas if you tweak your back at 22 years old, three days later, you're like fucking fine. Whereas if you're doing like a big overhead lift at 35 and you tweak your back, that shit not only is going to hurt you physically for days and days and possibly weeks, it's going to affect your job. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect everything. So we always want to be smart, but this is where we need to start being smarter. Um, In here, we need to make sure as far as diet that we are focusing on our protein intake. And then from here on through the rest of this time, we need to make sure because that's one of the biggest things that falls off with age is people start eating less and less and less and less protein. And that just speeds up the amount of, um, I think it's called sarcopenia. Yep. I was just going to bring that up. That speeds up sarcopenia, which is where your muscles basically just slowly degrade. I think after 40, it is one to 3% a year. Um, for the rest of your life, basically. So while, while that sounds stupid and sounds scary and also sounds fucking depressing, think about, um, think about the fact that if you are a absolute beast at 38 years old and you lose 1% a year for the next 10 years, 2% for the next 10 years, you're going to be a pretty fucking badass 70 year old. Yeah. You know, so that's where like we are, we're front loading as much as we can. And if, if you haven't started yet and you're 40, guess what? Reality is that tomorrow is the best fucking day to start. Today is the best day to start because 10 years from now you're going to be 50 yeah. and that's going to be an even worse time to start. Um, so as far as diet here, as far as macros, making sure you're getting your protein in, making sure you are not, eating so much that you're packing on a lot of extra weight because losing weight as you get older becomes harder and harder and harder because your basal, basal metabolic rate gets less, which means you are burning less calories and we're just overall likely doing a little bit less than we were 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, protein synthesis declines as you age. So if you're chomping on a steak when you're in your twenties, you know, you're able to synthesize a lot of that, the nutrients from there where when you're hitting you know, your mid thirties into, you know, your forties, all of a sudden you're going to be, guess what? You got to eat a lot more steak to get the nutrients that you need out of it. So, but yeah, you hit on the spot. Sar- sarcopenia is the biggest epidemic in the planet right now. So it's, you know, obesity we always think is, is the problem, but that's what we see. But you and I know people that, you know, have some body fat on them, some power lifters, but have a lot of, you know, solid muscle mass on them. And uh, it's um, one of the things I'm learning is, you know, muscle, muscle is, is basically the largest organ in your body. And it's, um, you know, like people like to flaunt cars and wealth, right? So if, if you want to flaunt how much currency you have, your muscle is probably the most visible currency and probably most valuable currency of your health. I like that. That's a good, that's a good example. Um, in this, in this 30 to 40s, 40s, when you can start to look at, um, you can start to look at kind of detailed training. If you are starting to notice that you're, you can find some weaknesses in your physique, you can find some weaknesses in your mobility, find some weaknesses in your strength, right? Like if you can, if you can carry, you know, 500 pounds, but you can't hold on to it to pick it up off the ground, then 
grip strength, forearm strength, stuff like that. Like this is where you can start to start to kind of round out your physical training, your speed, your agility, your mobility, and all of your strength. Um, Cause this is where you are not going to get as much out of those max effort days. Yeah. Grip strength is important. I mean, it's a good gauge. I know Huberman talks a lot about that. You know, at this, this stage in your life, you should be able to, to hang on a bar for a minute. And if you can't, uh, gosh, something you got to work on. Not the twisty bars, though, that they use at the circus. Twisty bars? Yeah. You ever see that at the, at the fair? They have the, they'll give you 100 bucks if you can hang from a bar for a minute. But the bar is, um, it's a rotate it spins. or something? Yeah, it oh. rotates. Oh, that is, that's, that's it's that's, cheap. Yeah. It's cheap. Um, and you can't use an over under grip. You have to use it either both over or both under. Oh, really? Under. Yep. Oh man, that's like having one of those barbells that you know spins too much. You yeah, can take right? it off; it's gonna fall on your. Uh, um, next would be the forty to sixty. You're gonna get, you're going to get response. You're going to get size. You're going to get strong. It's just gonna be very slow, and very, I guess, slow to react. So if you are doing, um, if you're if you're trying to put twenty pounds on your bench press, and you used to be able to do that in six months, it might take a year two years as you get later into this period. Um, the cool thing about this 40 to 60 and this 60 plus age range is you will see the biggest difference in the rest of your life by starting to work out at this point. If you are a very average 45 year old or 50 year old and you are starting to work out and you're doing it intelligently, not being a fucking idiot, not working out with 20 year olds and doing stupid shit. The 20 year olds do, yeah. but you're actually being intelligent you're going to see the biggest turnaround in the rest of your life. You're going to see the biggest improvement in your day-to-day activity. You're going to see the biggest improvement in your sex life. You're going to see the biggest improvement in your mental health. You're going to see the biggest improvement overall in these, you know, 40 plus, 40 to 60, and then 60 plus, especially 60 plus. Um, as we get later into the 40 to 60, our, our really heavy sessions, our one rep maxes, our three by fives, those are getting fewer and far between. Because let's face it, if you fuck something up and you tear a pack at 50 years old, it's never reattaching. Yeah. Everything's too calcified. You're just screwed. And so you need to be much more intelligent. We cannot get injured at this level. So we're doing a lot of lighter weights, higher rep sessions. You're still going for burnout. You're still going for max effort. You're still going for failure regularly. It's just failure is looking a lot more like 15 to 20. And a lot less like three rep max. Yeah, I, right? still, I still do my three reps, man. Come on. There's a big range. <laughs> there's a big range of humans in this world. And you have been lifting since you were how old? Well, all right, teenagers. So. Exactly. So, so yes, if you have, a, if you have a, a higher baseline, yes, it allows you to perform more. But if you're just starting and you're just like, man, I, I got to get built some muscle. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Don't be you dropping at, one rep maxes. You at 50 is probably a lot more like the average 40-year-old or the average 35-year-old if, we, if we're comparing, right? Yeah. So if we're comparing the average 50, 52-year-old, we need to realize that that's, you're, you're, not, you're not pushing 315 six months into lifting at 52 years old, right? Yep. Diet here, protein, and not overeating, not undereating. We need to to find our daily expenditure, whether it be a watch, whether it be a calculator, whether it be whatever it is. And we need to make sure that we are trying to get 
you know, you don't need to be a psycho about it, but you're averaging around your daily expenditure. You, if you want, if you're trying to put on muscle, your bulks now look like 500 calories more per day than what you're burning, not yeah. 2000 calories more per day than what you're burning. Right. Yep. And one of the major adjustments that, I mean, you should pay attention to this, you know, even as a child, but it's more important is your main adjustment is going to be, you're going to eat to avoid an an inflammation. And you have to understand the difference between acute inflammation and chronic inflammation. So for example, you know, eating that causes inflammation is, you know, a high sugar diet and, uh, um, hydrogenated oils, right? And fried specifically foods. processed foods. Yep. That causes a lot of, yeah, chronic inflammation to happen. So, um, there's acute is positive. I mean, you get that after you work out. So, which is, you know, if you're doing, you know, like the professional football players and even like I have my son do, if he has like a full week of practice, right. When you get done with practice, you want to bring that inflammation down so that you can perform the next day. He takes a cold bath after, you know, practice, or that's why you see athletes, you know, go into ice buckets or ice tanks. Um, but if you're just the average Joe's like us going to the gym during the day, um, if you want to up your testosterone, um, you know, Huberman talks a lot about it is doing the cold bath before your lifting activity, you know, before your resistance training. But if you do it after, then the problem is you're taking some of the acute inflammation away, which is critical for building muscle and um and your body is really good at you know taking care of that inflammation itself because i think didn't you talk about myokines a while back i don't think so oh so myokines like you know your your muscles release cytokines right which are small proteins yep i mean you have twenty thousand genes in your body and that is constantly processing dietary proteins in your body that's how important proteins are um, when you're con- when you're contracting your muscle, when you're lifting, you're releasing myokines from your muscles, and those are anti-inflammatory cells that you know that your body's helping to take care of itself. That's how you your body rebuilds that muscle. And as you get older, yeah, you don't have as as many, and that's what you know. Even I'm learning is like, all right, you need to take an extra day off. You can't, you know. I think it was what two years ago I was still doing pull-ups every other day. You know, hundred pull-ups. Now I got to take like every three to four days. Otherwise I'm like tearing up my lats. So, you know, sucks to get old, but kind of make your adjustments. Yeah. And, and the reality of it is that you can pretend like you're not whatever age you are. And you can be an idealist. And you can say, I'm just going to hit it hard and my body's going to recover and it's going to step up to the plate. And it is a little bit. But you, the older you get, the more you need to start to contemplate risk to benefit analysis. Yeah. And the risk to benefit analysis, if you're at 50, 55, 60 years old, the gains are not worth the risk that you're taking. Because if you hurt yourself, you might be off for two months and have lost all the gains that you had by lifting like a fucking dipshit. Yeah. Which, you know, for me, what that looks like is, is my max deadlift days are once a month, once every few months. I'm not maxing out on my deadlifts weekly. 
And that sucks. It's my favorite lift. It's my strongest lift. And, and I'm not happy about it. But when I hurt my back, I'm out for two weeks. Yeah. I'm not able. I mean, I can do some stuff, but I'm not able to do a lot of stuff. And so for me, that's what it looks like now. And I'm, you know, I'm 39. So I'm almost I'm, I'm just a few months away from 40. And that's what it looks like for me. What it's going to look like in 20 years will be even different. Um, as we get to that 60 plus, um, the joint stress that you cause by lifting heavy weights is going to take forever to heal. You're going to start to see a lot of things, um, like tennis elbow and golfer's elbow and all of these things where it's just a constant steady state of inflammation inside a joint. And if you cause that by heavy repetitive movements, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So that we really need to make sure that we're focusing on the form, the function of the, of the muscle group. We're focusing on, this is almost, it's almost like, right? Like you're born into diapers and you die in diapers, right? Yeah. Like that, 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 that philosophy. Dust to dust. It's almost like that with lifting too. We're getting a lot back towards body weight stuff, really lightweight, high rep. Um, we're concentrating on recovery. We are making sure that we're not getting injured because now the reality isn't just I'm out of the gym. The reality is at 75, if you break a femur, you may never get out of the hospital again. That may be your death sentence. Um, Anti-injury training is the number one job. Um, We are focusing on our proprioception, our our foot agility, our hand agility, our ability to get up, right? Like, do you know how many 60 year olds cannot get up off the ground without holding on to something else? Yeah. Even get out of a chair. Yeah. You know, I think that's, you know, don't get one of those chairs that, you know, have to assist you to get up. You know, if you have problems getting up, then you know what? Grab a chair and then practice. Yeah. Getting up from the chair. That's, that's your exercise. And once you get up right, like you remember that commercial that you saw where the grandpa wanted to be able to hold his grandkids? You remember this commercial? It was it, like hmm. the commercial bring me to fucking tears. He's in the garage and he's lifting a kettlebell. And he's, oh, for, yeah, right? for and Christmas. He's lifting yeah. it and he's putting it, he's putting it up on the shelf and he's bringing it down and he's putting it on the shelf yeah. and he's bringing it down and he's putting it on the shelf. And the whole end of the commercial is this grandpa was legitimately training to be able to pick his grandchild up to put the, the star on the top of the tree. Yeah. That and that Christmas was his whole one, fucking yeah. goal. And while, yes, that's, you know, heart jerking to tell us to buy Hallmark cards or whatever the fuck the commercial was even for. Yeah. R- the reality of it is that's the type of thing that we're training for. We're training for life. We're always training for life, but that we're training for everyday life when we hit 60, 70, 80 years old. Yeah. Total functional training. Diet becomes that much more important. Protein becomes that much more important. Um, like you said, the protein synthesis goes down. So whereas your body used to be able to metabolize and process 200 grams of protein and turn it into muscle it's a lot less um what does recovery look like at that age oh you know recovery you can still do active recovery you know it's um but they're pushing more towards like you know anything with water the buoyancy oh good call water aerobics um they're even talking like even like tai chi just you know the movement um anything that prioritizes maintaining that joint mobility you know, flexibility is real important. 
And that ties into, you know, you're talking about the the light resistance training and functional strength, right? Yep. But on the recovery side with the food is, you know, really focus on really nutrient-rich foods. And one of the big things they're saying is, yeah, you know, at this point in your life, uh, you know, do you really need, you know, the alcohol? Because um, at that point, it's, you know, it, it's a poison. I mean, it's a poison at all of these age ranges, but I think like anything else, it just the older that we get and the shittier our body gets at recovering, yeah, the worse it is, right? Because your organs, you know, they got miles on it, you know, yeah. you're, at, you're at high mileage and the functionality is just, it's, it's not at its optimum peak. So, you know, imagine your body having a, a tachometer, right? You, you can't run the RPMs that high anymore. You're going to blow that motor. So, um, yeah, it's focusing on, you know, eggs very nutrient rich you know even red meat you know contrary to what the fda or whatever is trying to tell you you know red meat is very nutrient rich so if you guys start to look and and here's two i'm going to put two points out here the first point is i know i've said it on here before but if you guys really really start to dig into the science and i know it's not the easiest but if you dig into the science all of the studies that show negative health implications from red meats had red meats tied together with processed meats and nitrate 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 and nitrite added density meats or uh, processed meats so you're talking like bacon sausage hot dogs all this processed shit that has a bunch of stuff added to it when you separate the studies where it's just red meat versus processed meat all of the negative implications seem to go away as far as how the how the science reads to me yeah. um the other thing is, is think about the food that your food eats and it does, yes. it yeah. doesn't matter if it is corn and lettuce or cows and chickens. If you have a, a fully organic, um, sustainable biodynamic farm where the, the soil is so healthy that they are not having to add a bunch of nutrients to the soil, then the vegetables from that farm are going to be drastically more micronutrient rich and flavanol rich and all of these little things that we haven't even identified yet rich versus I heard yesterday that because we've had a drought around here, um, the farmers that didn't fertilize their corn because it was so dry and they were scared they would burn it up, the ears on that corn only are about a third full of actual corn. The rest of it is just unfull ears. So what that says to me is that soil is so nutrient devoid that that plant can't do its number one goal because that plant's number one goal is to reproduce. And that, those corn that it makes is its way that it reproduces and develops. So if it, if it needs artificial nutrients sprayed on it, just to do its number one job. Think about how fucking healthy that plant is. Yeah. It's the same with animals. If you are eating, right? So hamburger or steak is better than hot dogs and bacon, right? Yep. But hamburger or steak or chicken breast from sustainably raised farms where they're feeding them a, a proper diet of good food. Yeah. Is even better because 
I know that it's super fucking annoying when you start to listen to vitamin K2 and vitamin C and all these random vitamins. But I will tell you that when you get deep into literature, there are hundreds, if not thousands of things that we haven't even identified with a number or a letter yet. They're just things that come with the food and the quality of the food. If you guys want to, the Dorito effect is a great book. If you guys want to audiobook it, it's awesome. And it it is some big schools that are comparing factory farm food to sustainably grown, um, I guess, holistic food. I don't even know if you what what you would call it, but yeah. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I can even tell what the eggs, you know. Oh, easy. Go yeah, that's sus- a great sus- example. Sustainable, good diet, you know, chickens with great diets, you can tell by the yolks. You know, even the the shit that you get from a grocery store that say, "Oh, it's uh, pasture, pasture raised and uh, organic," and all of a sudden you crack it open and the yolks are just pale. You know, they're just you know they're sure they're running around the pasture, but they're just dumping you know feeding them corn, so they're not you know fed on you know good grains and things that they're supposed to be eating with bugs and whatnot. Yeah, and and that is a that's a perfect example because I remember when I got chickens. Um, the first time I cracked one of those and the, the yolk, it's like so it, rich, it, it's orange. dark orange and it sits really high and it doesn't like sink down. It's, it's just like, holy shit. Like, wow. Yeah. And if you were to crack that next to uh, just a normal store egg, because like everything, there's a spectrum here, a normal cheap dollar 99 dozen store eggs is not as good as the four ninety nine five ninety nine pasture raised organic eggs but they're still not as good as the farm fresh eggs from the person raising the chickens, right? Like there's a spectrum. Oh yeah. But if you were to take the far end of one spectrum and crack it in a pan next to the far other end of the spectrum, you can see it. It, It's night and day. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last thing I have for the uh, ages uh, 60 through 70, um, the biggest thing to say is, I mean, exercise really helps your cognitive ability, not just the, you know, blood flow and everything else, but you know, helps because there's such a huge cognitive decline at this uh, this stage. Um, but the biggest thing is social engagement is part of the recovery for age 60 to 70. Oh, that's a good point. Because there's so many um, people that, yeah, get into this age group, and guess what? All of a sudden they're either by themselves or, you know, uh, hope to God know that they end up in a, a home where they don't get a lot of visitors. And you you turn into a vegetable when you don't have that. So, you know, maintain a strong social network at this age. You know, just for mental and emotional well-being and for your you know, cognitive abilities, too. So, um, yeah, that's probably the added added recovery uh, spot for this, uh, this age group. Here's an interesting, just an interesting question or an interesting philosophy that just came to mind as you were talking about the home, right? You st- are, you, are you saving money for when you get older? Yeah. Yeah, right? Like most of us do. Not everybody, but most of us save money, right? And the reason we save money is so that we don't have to... We don't have to worry about um, how we're going to pay our bills and we can kind of age gracefully and, and, and do the things that we want to do. Right. Yeah. So that is to make maybe the last 20, 30 years of our lives more enjoyable. Right. Yeah. And I don't want my kids to, you know, have to shoulder that. So. And so we're going to save money for 40 years about mm-hmm. to then enjoy the next 30 years after that. Yeah. Why aren't we looking at physical training as 
we are improving our bodies for 40 years so that we can enjoy the next 30 years. Because if you hit 60 years old and you retire and you're 60 pounds overweight, you're lackluster of muscle and you have no energy, you're going to be in a home in 10 years. Yeah. And then you're going to have a really shitty next fucking 10 years before you die. Versus if you are a physically fit 65-year-old and you go into retirement with loads of energy and a body that still works, you're going to have an amazing next 30 years or 25 years before you fucking croak. And you might just, you might just die on your own. You might never have to be in a home. Nobody might, somebody might never need to take care of you. Yeah. And that's the goal, right? Cause yeah. we're all going to die. Yeah. Like the reality of it is we're, we're, we're all, we all have a death sentence. We just don't know when it is. Yeah. But the whole thing is yeah, you want to be, you know, cognitively functional and you want to be physically functional. Otherwise, yeah, it's going to be a shitty, you know, last 20, 30 years. Yeah, I, I just read the other day this news article that was talking about retirement homes being the, like, number one STD-ridden places in the, in, the, in the United States. So these people are just the banging. retirement homes? Oh, yeah. People are just banging left and right, just raw-dogging old ladies like nobody's business. So if you want to be able to perform when you get to that <laughs> retirement home, <laughs> you better be putting in the physical work now. That is one of the craziest points I've heard. <laughs> I know. I had to. <laughs> All right. I think that's a wrap. You got right. anything else? That's it. 